Hello, Octane Nation. It's Coach Dave here. For you first-time listeners, I'm Dave Jimenez. I'm the founder and head coach of Octane Athletics Training Systems, which is a team of coaches focused on helping people perform endurance feats they'd never thought possible for themselves. To learn more about us, head out to octane-athletics.com slash coaching. You'll see a profile for all the coaches. You'll also see a link on that page to sign up for a free, no-obligation consultation with one of us. It's quick and easy. All you have to do is fill out that form, give us a little information to work with, and one of the coaches will reach out to you to set up some time on the phone or in person, have a cup of coffee or what have you, to go over your goals and plans, provide you with uh, our guidance and point of view on those goals and your plan, and help to set you on the right course. Take advantage of it. We love doing it, and we wouldn't offer if we didn't want to do it. So go to OctaneAthletics.com and reach out to us. This and every episode of the podcast is brought to you by Gatorade Endurance. Gatorade Endurance is uh, a special formula Gatorade for endurance athletes. It's not the stuff you'll find in the gas station or at the grocery store. Uh, you will find it in specialty retail stores locally here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I know TriShop carries it. Um, you can also get it on Amazon.com if you're a Prime member. The shipping on it is free. And probably the biggest reason to use this, although outside of the fact that it's, uh, it's just good stuff, is that... It is on course at many of the biggest races that you guys are going to participate in throughout the year. So any any big marathon like Boston, New York, Chicago, Dallas, those are all Gatorade Endurance events. Also, the Rock and Roll Half Marathon Marathon Series is a Gatorade Endurance event, as well as the North American Ironman events also have uh, Gatorade Endurance on course. So uh, for those of you who raced before, you know it's always good to try the things that are going to be on course. And so I highly recommend you guys getting some Gatorade Endurance and giving it a shot in your training to know that it'll work with you on course, and that way you can trust what's out there. Go out and try some Gatorade Endurance. Hey everybody, Coach Dave here. On this episode, I'm joined by Jesse Carrington, who is uh, one of the coaches for Octane Athletics Training Systems. And it's a great episode. We just do a bunch of Q&A, sort of like we used to do on the show a lot. And we'll do more and more of. We've got kind of a decent bank of questions, so we'll uh, we'll take those. Uh, before we get started on the podcast, I do want to run you through a couple things. Uh, one, on Wednesday, July twenty seventh, twenty sixteen, at Carroll Middle School in Southlake, we'll have a Octane uh, track session, which will be basically a run clinic. So it's free. Uh, we're doing this in conjunction with uh, what Lululemon in Southlake is calling Run Month, and so. Uh, as a part of that, we'll have a couple coaches out there, and we're going to kind of go through, have a great track workout, work on technique, uh, things to think about as you uh, get into running, uh, how to kind of progress up over time so you avoid injury and keep enjoying it, those kinds of things. So 6 p.m., Carroll Middle School, South Lake, Texas, on Wednesday, July 27th, uh, 2016. Saturday, July 30th. Um, at TriShop in Plano, Texas, there is a free beginner's triathlon clinic as uh, we are working in conjunction, as we always do, with Dallas Athletes Races. On the 31st, there's the Pioneer Sprint Triathlon here in the Dallas-Fort area, and so uh, I usually do clinics for all the first-timers and anybody who needs it the day before. So that is Saturday. Um, July 30th, Tri Shop in Plano, Texas at 2 p.m. And I stick around pretty much as long as I need to. Usually the clinic lasts about an hour, but usually I'm there hour 15, hour 30. Um, it'll be there at the shop. So 
be sure to uh, plan your packet pickup appropriately if you're going to pick it up that day from Tri Shop. Uh, come around 1.30, get your packet picked up, and stick around for the clinic. We'll go through uh, the ins and outs of racing triathlon. I'll go through the, probably the thing that confuses people the most when they are doing their first race because race, they haven't practiced it very often, which is the transitions. I go all through the transitions. And again, uh, my goal and objective there is to get people super comfortable with what they're uh what they're taking on the following day which is uh kind of my gig in this sport in my opinion just to uh make sure that people have a good first uh first experience so they keep coming back and they love the sport so we just want to grow the sport so just wanted to get some things out there for what we're doing in uh in the coming in the coming week uh, as you know, you can head out to octane-athletics.com slash calendar. Check out our calendar. We're doing two open water swims per month now. Uh, we've been doing it for a couple of months. It's been going great. And we'll have anywhere between 20 and 50 athletes out there on a on a biweekly basis. And um, we've split them into two groups. There's beginners who will do things in increments of like 50 yards in open water until they get comfortable to an intermediate and advanced group where some of the advanced guys are just and gals are out there just swimming. They'll, they'll do 5K worth of open water swimming on the weekend. So uh, keep your eyes open for that on our calendar at octane-athletics.com slash calendar. Uh, beyond that, this episode again, joined by Jesse Carrington. Try Coach Jesse on Twitter. Awesome dude. He's like a little brother to me. Uh, I've talked about him on the podcast before. If not for Jesse, I don't think there's any way in hell I finish. I'm in Texas in 2015. That's much how, that's how much the guy means to me. Um, he obviously cares a lot about me. Our families hang out together. So it's uh, it was great to sit and, and chat with him for a bit, answer your questions. And uh, I hope we, we do a good job with that and you that you enjoy the episode without any further delay. Here is uh, the podcast with Jesse Carrington from Octane Athletics Training Systems. I'm here with Jesse Carrington, Coach Jesse Carrington, who is one of my partners in crime in Octane Athletics Training Systems. So it's first time on his, on the podcast. It's been too long. Probably a little way too long. but Yeah, but this is good. Just as a warning, we're recording this like in the middle of a Texas thunderstorm. Slash so, monsoon. Yeah, it's coming down in sheets pretty much. I mean, when it rains here, it doesn't do it. It doesn't do it halfway. It goes all the way. Yeah, everything's bigger in Texas, including <laughs> the storms. Yeah. So if you hear thunder or something like hail on a window, that's probably what it is. So Jesse and I go way back. We actually met at a coaching clinic here locally about four years ago, maybe. Four years ago, right? Something like um, that. that was 2013 in the fall been a few years yeah it's been a while then we went to usat training together in santa fe new mexico which was kind of cool that same year and we've sort of been coaching together ever since for the most part we wanted to do today is a q a episode i need some help on these questions jesse so uh, i will do my best plus i don't like answering these questions by myself there's lots of questions that folks put up on our uh open facebook group which is called fuel your fire running in triathlon in facebook you can just join it just add yourself to it and interact with a bunch of athletes and coaches and folks from all over the place. It's a pretty cool little group, so uh, hop in there and make yourself known. And uh, 
if you have questions, ask them. But today, uh, we want to take some we want to take some questions around mostly triathlon questions, as yeah, I've I seen here. Yeah, I think they're here. all triathlon related for this one. Jesse, just so you know, uh, Lawrence and I answered some of the some of the other ones like you know, pissed do coaches get about this or that last time, which were sort of interesting questions because you know my feedback is we don't really get pissed. I mean, sure. No, not at all. I, I always tell athletes that they're the boss. Like, yeah, I work for them, not the other way around. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we want you to do your training, but you know, it's our job to ask you why if you're not. But we don't get pissed anyway. Um, we asked some of those questions, but there's some other ones in here that are good. The first of which that uh, that I saw here is around fatigue cycles, and you and I tend to agree on. Uh, managing the fatigue of an athlete and Jeff asked us I mean he didn't really ask a question he just said talk about fatigue cycles and there's a lot that we can talk about there but I think where I thought we'd start is the importance of periodization right right yep um which once you describe what that is so periodization is basically we'll lay this season out and we have different building blocks are typically in four weeks. Um, we'll build, 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 and then recover. The recovery week is on the fourth week, and that's typically where you're going to make your adaptation to the previous three weeks of training. But as far as the, the question on fatigue cycles, being in a slight state of fatigue is how we adapt to it. It's how we're going to continue to improve. If we do the same workouts week in and week out, you're not going to feel that fatigue because your body's doing the same thing. Um, you're also not going to improve, at least not very quickly. So always being in a slight state of fatigue is, is part of training. Um, it's a part of how we of just adapting and getting stronger and faster and more durable. And pretty much we're going to stay at a, at least a slight state of fatigue until we get close to race day. You know, two to three weeks out from race day is kind of where you're going to start really pulling back the volume and intensity and training load so that we can get to a slightly positive on our fatigue cycle or where you're at in, as far as being fatigued where you start to feel fresh um and that's why we have our best performances on race day for me half marathons are like a one to two week taper that's what jesse was talking about at the end so for runners a one to two week depending upon the athlete uh and the training that they went through and how healthy they are uh, for marathoners, it's a solid two weeks. For taper, for others, it's three. just depends on the athlete again. Uh, their condition going into the taper, the training they've done, those sorts of things. For uh, short course triathletes, so sprints, uh, Olympic distance folks that are doing those races competitively to qualify for something, I'll taper them a week and a half or so. Usually the Wednesday before their race, I'll start to kind of pull them back. They won't have a long training session over that week, that weekend before. Uh, and then you step up to half Ironman distance. Uh, generally, it's a two-week taper. When I coached Jesse before for that, it was a two-week taper. I've only had one athlete that I tapered him longer than two weeks, and that's because he was nursing something that we needed to give some extra care to. And then for Ironman, it's three weeks is the taper. Um, Never longer than three weeks because you start to lose fitness at that point. But uh, three weeks is pretty much my going in assumption for a taper. Nothing shorter than that. Don't think your body can heal from the last block or two of training with anything less than that. Would you agree? Agreed. Especially with the Ironman training. Especially if 
I mean, it doesn't really matter what their goals are, even if their goal is to just finish the race. The amount of training it takes to accomplish that is it, quite a bit. And it, like Dave said, it, you're going to need a good two to three weeks to recover properly from that. The other thing on the on the amount of taper for, for my athletes is I also have to look at what they're doing afterwards. So, you know, if it's the A race and there's not another A race on the calendar, then we can put a little more into it um, and maybe taper a little bit more just to make sure they're really, really fresh. But if they've got a race, you know, another pretty important race not too far out, um, I might cut the taper a little bit just so we don't lose too much fitness, especially if you're, you know, for an athlete, like an example, maybe they've got a, a, a B race that they still want to do pretty good at that's within a month or two of a, an Ironman, then you can't, you know, we're not going to do a full taper because we know we've got the Ironman coming up and we don't want to lose that fitness. You're going to lose a little bit of fitness, but we don't want to lose too much fitness. So um, that's kind of my only, the time that I will change, kind of exactly like Dave said on on the, the timing of how long to, to taper. I do the exact same thing. The only other time I'd, I kind of differ from that is if an athlete's got a race, a prior to race shortly after. What do you, how do you handle those? I would generally agree with you, but the one thing I will say, and this is kind of, this is not a question that was asked, but I think it's something we should, it dovetails into this pretty well. And that is like for me, and I believe for all of us that we coach with Jesse, there's only one A race. And so if you like to race a lot, you know, we'll generally want you out there racing. We think it's good. Uh, I think it's good for you to be out there racing. But for example, you know, I have an, an athlete doing, um, Ironman Boulder, first part of August, and he did Alcatraz today, and he is going to do Buffalo Springs uh, in two weeks from today. It's quite a bit. Right. So he, you know, we had this conversation. He's like, I was like, listen, these are training, these are just training days for you. As a matter of fact, some of these aren't even long enough to be training days, but intensity is high, so it's okay. But you guys need to know, like, if you like to tra- to race a lot, it's fine, but there has to be time for training. And so, and, and the big part of that is if we try to taper you into every race, you'll never peak for the A race. So Correct. you can generally only peak an athlete a couple times a year. Um, and what that means is you get them healed up, get their, get the training load way down and just get them feeling fresh. Joe Friel calls it form. And, you know, he wants you in good form for a race, and you can only do that so much. So well, for Scott, for example, the athlete I was talking about, we're just he's training through these races. And, and he has a unique situation with, you know, he was training for Texas. Right, um, Th- which made it even harder on yeah. me because he was in the first week of taper when he deferred to right. Boulder. And I'm thankful it was the first week because he wasn't, he hadn't quite started to, to you know, come into form uh, so like he decided like the wednesday of that week that he was going to move matter of fact he and micah both made a decision that wednesday of that week and i was thankful because at least i was able to switch their training around so that saturday they were right back at it so gotcha. you know they but i think it's important for folks to know that there's a right amount of training to do every in in your year when it comes to doing sprint races and and, and 10ks and stuff like that for the runners, fine, right? But you can't try to pile too much of this stuff on um, because you just won't be in good shape. And there's even, I mean, we've 
we both know a couple athletes that we typically refer to them as over trainers and mm-hmm. race too often you know and some of them are trying to qualify for for you know age group nationals and maybe even boston that sort of thing and it's taken someone to really pull them back on their training and racing and as soon as they did that they started going a lot faster yeah. and started hitting those you know goals and qualifying for those events so that's another yeah it's a balanced thing right um, so Jeff, if you have any other questions on this fatigue cycle thing and we didn't cover just now, uh, definitely reach out to us and we'll go deeper on it in a future episode or we can grab you face to face and, and chat with you about it. Jesse Lawrence, this is an interesting one, I think, cause it's one that I do a lot, even though we have the group and we have group training and stuff like that. Just sometimes the schedule gets in the way, but Lawrence wants us to talk about training alone. It's a good one. So for me, training alone is just sort of this necessary evil thing. I can just, just seems to, like n- things just don't work out to where I get to go train with the group very often. You know, if I had a choice, certainly I want to train in a group. Uh, I think it's more fun that way. Uh, I think you get a, you get some spirit of competition when you're training together as a group. Now, granted, that could cause you to kind of go off the reservation when it comes to the the workout that you're supposed to execute and what you actually do if you go on a group ride at Tri Shop on Saturday and you're supposed to do a zone two ride and you end up going, you know, hard. Yeah, if you're going with a group with the Tri Shop ride and zone yeah. two, there's very few people that their zone two is going to hang with that group. So, yeah, it does make it a little bit tricky. Training with the group, you know, just for it, to, especially if you're have, if you're on a specific plan and you've got things laid out, mm-hmm. obviously with, with all of our coached athletes, there's a bigger picture than just that one week. So I, I, I love the group training. There's so many benefits to it, I, you know, from the being motivated to just the camaraderie of having people around you, knowing that they're going through the same thing that you're going through. You're not out there by yourself. Yeah, you're part, and if you're part of our group, another good thing I think about it is the reason we have group training um, cause we're really not a club is if we have a group training event, uh, it, it's coached. So it's an opportunity to get an, a coach's eyes on you. And I can't tell you, I mean, he's sitting here with me, so I'm going to toot his horn for him, but like, I can't tell you how many athletes have told me that, you know, going to Monday's swim with Jesse has changed their lives, you know, from an endurance, from a, a swim perspective. Uh, so there's that benefit of training in group. So I'm a huge fan of it. If it, if it fits in your schedule, there's huge, there's huge amounts of benefits to it, but it really, the, the thing that I think is difficult about group training is just making sure that you're, you make it work for you. So you stay within the construct of the workout that the coach may be asking you to do. Uh, Agree. So. Yeah. And that's, the, I, that was my the last point was getting, getting eyes on the athletes because yeah. You know, we see a lot from training peaks. We can tell a lot from your heart rate. We can tell a lot from, from your power and your pace and that sort of thing, how it's progressing. But the big thing is getting eyes on them because there's some things we can't see. And, you know, I see athletes on Mondays and, you know, I can just tell their mood or how their motivation is. And sometimes you can just see it in their eyes if they're if they're really fatigued and really tired or, you know, there's there's more to, more to this than just the training, like, life affects your your training and not just you know the logistic part of timing and location but you know life stressors add to to your uh your fatigue i mean i've you know there's 
sleep for me right now is yeah. <laughs> is is very complicated. Yeah. So with a, a five week old as of tomorrow, my sleeping my sleep patterns just can be. I mean, she's fairly consistent, but it's not it's not what it used to be. So I mean, I might go and not enough sleep, right? Yeah, yeah, not enough sleep. Uh, I mean, I think last week I probably had about fifteen or sixteen hours in three days, and trying to train on top of that and. It just it doesn't work. I mean, when I try to train like that, I'm just my body's so tired. I I can't adapt to it. Like I just yeah. I can't even make it through the workouts most of the time. So well, then you're not you're not really adapting anyway. So. No, you're yeah you're just tearing yourself up. I think there's a lot of things now that make training alone a lot better than it used to be, especially on the bike. Right? You got love trainer road. Trainer right. road is my favorite. Yeah, you love it. You love that. I think Zwift has ch- has changed a lot, and you have the ability in Zwift to train with you know, friends if you want to virtually, yep. which is kind of cool. So on the bike, when I train on the bike, I actually don't use a lot of those things. I usually just use my kicker and adjust it to according to what you give me. Jesse's my coach. So that's when I say that, that's what I mean. So if you tell me, you know, 85% FTP for 35 or 45 minutes or whatever, I'll just set it that number and leave it there. For those of you that need more of that video game aspect of it zwift is amazing like it's great yep. for that for and then now i have have you messed with the workout creator on zwift i never did no you know what i honestly since we moved here i haven't even plugged the zwift gotcha. in the laptop i use for it's still sitting well they the have the workout creator now so you can actually even if you have a structured workout you can plug it in I, I haven't used it so i don't know from experience but i know that they're playing with it so even if you have a structured workout you can still put it into zwift and um, you're still going to do exactly as your coach or, you know, if you're a self-coached athlete, you know, what you had planned on doing, but still get the benefits from, you know, riding with the, the virtual stuff and even riding with other people. So, yeah, you like trainer road cause you can, I mean, we, you've got a library of our workouts that you've created, yeah. there, right? Which is it's addicting nice. for me. I, yeah. I enjoy making the workouts just because with trainer road, like I can be very precise on, on what the workout's going to accomplish and especially for got several athletes that use the the wahoo so i know that whatever i put into that workout is is exactly what happens you know you can get a workout but you still have to actually execute execute and all that with the wahoo and trainer road there's there's no cheating (laughs) you know for those of you out there that i coach you 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 know this well that you know when whatever it says to do it it makes it happen and you know i get feedback on yeah that was pretty intense or i don't think there's enough recovery because wahoo never lets off and you know i've talked to some athletes recently about you know getting longer workouts workouts in because they've you know i had someone this week you know come to me and say well my friends are training for the same distance i am around the same time and they're doing these long workouts and i had to just let them know that you know those three and four hour rides outside when you're stopping every two blocks because of a stop sign or stoplight are nothing compared to when you're on a trainer for an hour and a half because mm-hmm. it never lets up. Right. So especially that trainer, the kicker just yeah, the it, kicker's awesome. If you stop, that wheel gets really heavy to start back up. Yep. So you want to keep going. So yeah. Uh, in terms of training alone on the swim, I mean to me the swim is where it's sort of it doesn't matter unless you're going to a group masters class with. A coach or two on deck or something, swimming, swimming in the la- in the lane next to Jesse or swimming without Jesse doesn't make a difference to me. I'm because I'm heads down in the water doing my thing. Yeah, agreed about the swimming. The run is probably where I need the most, where where I would maybe appreciate training with a group more. Although I do most of my runs alone, you know, there's no real solution to to that. One thing I will say about that is, 
when I train alone, I tend to wear headphones more on the run. And uh, in the long course, in, in triathlon, for example, you can't wear them. So thing I tell you guys to train alone is try to do some of those workouts without the headphones because believe me or believe it or not, it matters. Yeah, it, it'll make a difference. I mean, go out there and do an all-out mile with your headphones in and some pretty good music and go out and do an all-out mile without the headphones in and you can, you'll, I've done it. Uh, there's, I mean, for me, it, it makes a, a decent amount of difference. I, I personally don't train with music ever. Every once in a while, I might have some music in the background when I'm on the trainer, but it's it's rare um, for that particular reason because it's tough out there. You're you're out there by yourself. When you're on that bike, there's no drafting, so you're not right next to somebody anyways. Um, it's you and your bike. So I just I try to do as much race-like stuff as possible and just put my head down and grind through it. Like Dave said, swimming outside of a master's class, it's, you know, it's you in the water. The running's tough. Uh, sometimes I, I like to run by myself. Just for me, it's just a way for me to clear my head, just kind of get out there and run. And it's, it's refreshing for me just to kind of get out there and go track sessions are way better in a group. I, I I come from a track background, but you know, I can do the moderate effort stuff on my own, but when it's a matter of going hard, like Robbie's my guy. Like I love running with Robbie. Like he's the one that pushes me and and everyone has to find someone. That's, that's one tricky part about the track stuff. And and I've got the feedback from athletes and say, well, it can be intimidating or it, you know, it's, there's people that are faster than me. Well, there's always going to be someone faster than you. And there's always going to be someone slower than you. Um, and don't let that keep you from doing the track sessions and running in the big groups because that's what's going to make you stronger. Having people run faster than you is going to push you more. It pushes me more. That's why I like running with, you know, like I said, like, you know, we usually, with Rob, we had a small group that would come out there, but like him and I would usually run together and it just motivates me. It makes me faster. So, yeah, I mean, it's same thing with group rides. Like you go to a group ride and if you're a C plus rider, don't ride with the C group. Right with the B group, right? Right. They'll they'll push you. They'll they'll you'll hang with them, right? So I think that's important. All right. So I think that's good on training alone. The uh, there's another one here that's interesting, and I learned this. I learned the answer to this from Ron actually. So I'll share this. But proper foam rolling tec- stretching techniques and why they're so important. So we'll start with why they're important. Um, foam rolling is important because as most of you know by now the body is one big chain and when you when you you look at injuries like for example i have an athlete who deals with some foot issues and it's not the it's not their feet it's their calves that cause those foot issues right so we have to continue to rem- i have to continue to remind them to be on the foam roller constantly um foam rollers keep the keep the muscle keeps the maintenance up on the muscle uh, it keeps the muscle sort of elongated. It keeps it kind of supple. Um, it gets the, keeps the knots out. Uh, it's super important. There is a right way to do it, and I learned this from Dr. Ron Tribendis at Performance. Um, you want you don't want to just roll up and down, back and forth. You want to start sort of at the farthest point from your heart and roll toward your heart. You want to push all that crud that you're kind of breaking up from the knots and whatnot to your heart so it can pump that stuff out um, and push, pump the fresh blood through there. So just going back and forth 
isn't as effective as, for example, if you're rolling your calf, start right above your Achilles and roll all the way up and then reset by starting back down at your calf and roll all the way up. And he tells, he's told me that that's kind of how you would do it for everything. Um, so legs are easy, back, even my catch around technicality here, but just want, I just roll that because it feels good. But legs, um, you, you just want to roll kind of low to high. Because so he said you usually like, like the calves the first thing to roll, like the calf down there and roll up. Like even like if you're going to roll your back or. Uh, he didn't tell me that, but I just kind of uh, ex- I mean, expanded that's on the idea so, that he yeah. just, he told me about low to high. And I said, well, I just started okay. my. I start at my calf and I roll up. Um, so yeah, low to high on the on the foam rolling. Just any you want to the farthest point from your heart towards your heart, and then not back down, but reset and then go back towards the heart. Stretching's an interesting thing. So uh, I'm I'm a I'm a post workout st- stretch proponent. If it's light stretching, hate the idea of athletes stretching before getting warmed up 100% no <laughs> never like you you're looking to our elongate a muscle that hasn't isn't ready for that kind of torque and you're more ten you have more tendency to tweak or pull something if you start doing just crazy stretching before uh before you go for a run or a bike ride or something like that so what i like to tell people is if so for example if you do a, if you're doing a track session what we do is we do a mile warm up or so, and then we do some active, kind of active warm up where you do some stretching, but you're doing it moving. So uh, it's kind of an, an act, like I said, an active warm up. And then at the end, you know, we can do some light stretching. Um, but I just, I'm not a big fan of static stretching uh, yeah, that here. much at all. Um, like I said, most of the time it's, people put way too much pressure on their muscle, even if they are warmed up and they can just do themselves more harm than good. But with that said, it's like for me, for example, right now I'm trying to get this patella tendon to cooperate and the knee that had, that had repair done to it. And so I am doing a little bit of stretching on that after runs because it starts to get angry then. So uh, I will do some, but it's super selective. Super yeah. Selective. I, I like doing stuff like after running days. I feel like running's, I mean, for me, it's the, it's the hardest thing on my body. It's the hardest thing on anyone's body. Um, so those are the days I usually like to do some, some stretching afterwards, but I do it like right after the run, after my cool down, just because my legs are already, obviously they're warm and they're stretched out. Um, and that's usually when I try to do my, my, my bigger stretching for my legs. Yeah. And you had, you had a bit of an issue with the foam roller, right? I did have an issue with the foam roller. Uh, so I'm I'm very easy on the foam roller with my back. I only do one exercise, um, two actually. Um, but I don't... I, I, I overextended on a foam roller last year, um, and it pretty much ended my season. I'm still dealing with it. So I'm real selective on the, the stuff with the back. Definitely don't want to overextend yourself on the foam rollers. But yeah, so I'm I'm pretty cautious on it now. But when it comes to the legs, oh yeah, for sure, get on it. Right, you know, foam roller. Uh, there's a lacrosse ball on my yeah. back at all times. I have a lacrosse ball um, too. I've got the handheld rollers that if I'm sitting on the couch, I'll use it. 
and yeah, so I've always got something within, you know, there's a foam roller upstairs, there's one downstairs. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's always good. You know, and that's stuff you can do, stuff you can do while you're watching TV after I dinner. I have one at the office, dude. <laughs> I do. I do. I don't actually get on the ground and use it, but like sometimes I'll just put it down there and take my shoe off and I'll just do the feet or whatever. But yeah, yeah I like the lacrosse ball. I mean, it's small, but it's very easy. You can take it anywhere. Like I said, it stays on my backpack. Uh, that's with me most of the time. And so anytime, you know, something comes up, I can just grab it and work a knot out real fast. You guys take it easy on that lacrosse ball, though. You will bruise yourself if you put too much pressure oh, on the sure. lacrosse ball. So but they're, they're great, especially for the small knots and things like that. I'll add one other thing to this question, and that is massage. I think for any serious endurance athlete, massage is a pretty a pretty good thing to do on a fairly frequent basis. I'm not saying, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm never proponent of spending other people's money, but I think it's a good maintenance thing. I think if you find a good masseuse that gives a good kind of sports-specific massage, you should go and see those folks once a month or so. Just, and if need be, tell them to focus on one specific area. If you have, you know, calves are bad or... You know, for me, it's right quad. Like, I'll go in there and we'll spend, he'll spend half an hour on the right quad, and then he'll do half an hour on the other two and a half, or one and a half legs, right? So, massage is a big damn deal. I think it's better than foam rolling. It's more specific than foam rolling. Yes, it's more expensive, but. But you also have a, a trained professional doing it versus yeah. you by yourself. I'm like I said, you, you still need to do the foam rolling, obviously, but. Um, it's there's no comparison to to someone that's knows what they're doing, especially and not just the you know the local spa place like like Dave said, uh, someone that specializes in it. The, the guys over at Performance Chiropractic, I've seen them before. They're exceptional. Um, they see athletes every single day, um, so they're probably one of the more I mean experienced with athletes in the Metroplex. So that's where I would lean to first if you're close to Plano. Yeah, I would agree. All right, Jesse, this one's um this one's a probably an episode of itself. Um but I wanna do let's let's at least cover some basics and you know a pretty good amount about this, so matter of fact we will do let's do an episode on this, but let's at least touch on the on the question. So for Tabitha, Jeff, uh training with power. Tra- Jesse and I are both pretty huge proponents of our athletes having power. Now, again, we don't tell somebody they have to have a power meter on their bike, but we definitely love when they do. I like it, uh, just so you understand, like from a coaching perspective, why I like it, and I think most coaches do, is it's a very specific unit of measure for effort. Um, heart rate has a float to it. It takes a while for your heart rate to come up. It takes a while for your heart rate to come down. If I give you a zone two workout on the bike, right, you're, or a zone three workout, like say, like say I do, I have a workout called a two, three, two, zone two for a bit, zone three for a bit, zone two for a bit, right? Then I might repeat that two or three times for an athlete, right? So they're doing these intervals. If I have you do that with the heart rate, usually an athlete can't hit it because their athlete, their, their heart rate just kind of floats around. And it's hard for them once it gets to zone three to bring it back down to zone two. Where if I give it to you in power, and if you have a power meter on your bike and a bike trainer, 
it's pretty easy. Like, you know what your 10 watt zone is for zone two. You said it, it for me, cause I like to play with the edge of danger. If my zone two is uh, 170 watts, um, at the top end, I'll put it at 168 or something. Cause I like just like being on the edge of that. And then for zone three, I can set the trainer at the Wahoo specifically. Um, but you can do this with any power meter. I can say, okay, now I've got to ride at 178 cause that's my next, my zone three zone. And then I just switched the thing back down to 168 for zone two time. So I know based on that, that the effort is what it, what it's supposed to be. That's why I like it. The question is about training specifically, but there are lots of advantages to the power meter when it comes to the race too. Like I write very detailed race plans. They get much more precise when I'm have an athlete that has a power meter. So I'll let you chime on chime in here, Jesse, about kind of the basics of training with power. I think, you know, for Tabitha, uh, she's, you know, we've had some conversations with her about just the specifics of, okay, what do I do about the heart rate now? Do I just ignore it? And I keep telling her, no, don't ignore it. But you just, your heart, your power becomes your primary unit of measure. Yeah. So huge fan of the power. There's just so many things we can do with it. It can be an entire episode, if not two. Um, but we can definitely kind of hit some, hit some of the, the the big stuff, especially for the people that you know maybe it's still fairly new to you. I know Tabitha hasn't had it for a, a real long time, so you know. And, and that's the other thing is the, I, I get the same question: is what about heart? So we don't have to have, wear the heart rate anymore. It's like no, you still have to wear the heart rate monitor because even though there's a, some, you know, there's outside variables that affect your heart rate um for me it, it really for anyone but outside it's even worse on the trainer i can be a lot more precise with the heart rate because there's it's it's a controlled environment i'm not stopping and starting i don't have traffic i don't have wind i don't have you know the the temperature like that's all controlled so it makes it a lot easier but um for me the big thing with the heart rate is looking at the decoupling like when i check out an interval or an entire workout um, we'll compare, we'll, you know, take a ratio of the heart rate to the power and it's called decoupling. And that really tells us a lot about your fitness and especially when you're doing intervals, like we can look at each interval and see, okay, well, did the heart rate spike on this interval? Like how many intervals did you make until that happened? That sort of thing. So, um, still need the heart rate. That's one of the big things I like with the heart rate, but also I, I use it as a limiter. So even if you're, you know, say you're supposed to go ride, you know, especially in a race situation, training is not, I'm not as picky about it. Really, I'm not picky at all in training on this part of it. But for racing, even if you're supposed to go ride at, you know, 150 watts, well, if your heart rate gets out of the zone, you're supposed to be, especially like an Ironman or half Ironman athlete. If you're flirting with the upper zone three and zone four in your heart rate, then there's, there's things happening. Like maybe you're getting dehydrated or or maybe you did go too hard early or that sort of thing, it, then it's that, that's kind of our limiter. And it's like, okay, well, let's back the power down. Like if mm-hmm. we're supposed to ride at 150 and my heart rate just can't, you know, it's spiked out, then we have to adjust the power. Like, you know, we've got to bring the power down. So it's still required. So that's the, the, kind of the heart rate side. But for training, like, it's it's great. Especially, that's why I'm such a huge fan of Trainer Road because – with athletes on power or even if they only have the the wahoo you know when i write that workout and i give it to them i know that they're it's gonna do exactly as i need right. if, I, if i need them to go to experience 100 tss points for this workout then i know they're gonna do it you know with heart rate you know if they do everything perfectly then then maybe they do hit that but 
it's just it's a lot harder with the variables and the heart rate lag that sort of thing um so you know i i had an athlete last year that got power and you know within three months of having it went from averaging his best days at like 17 miles an hour to racing at 20 miles an hour you know and just the being so specific with the training um i really feel that that's what helped him improve so fast so that's my other big thing but yeah it's really a a a whole episode in its own but i I think the big thing so for the new people i mean i install power meters every week on people's bikes so i get the question well what do i look at what what should be on my garmin this is just my personal favorites you know for the big picture you need to have normalized power Um, that's going to give you a better indicator what the the entire ride looks like Um, so i have normalized power on there and then i'll either have a you know a 10 to 30 second average Um, everyone kind of has a a different preference i have 10 but you know that's just kind of telling me exactly what's going on right then so those are the the two numbers you're going to want to look at you can get balance i don't watch balance on my garmin necessarily i do look at it afterwards but it's not something i put on my on my screen Um, so i like to have the what i think is kind of the instant which is like your 10 to 30 second power also look at normalized power and I think those are the that's the big questions I get is well what yeah. do I do now with it the power the balance thing's an interesting one so yeah I, I have, don't ever look at that on my Garmin I, I don't actually train in normalized power either I, I race with normalized power every single time it's the only thing I look at but I use uh, 30 second power gotcha for training and I can get away with that because again I'm using the kicker so I just set the kicker at whatever it is and like the Garmin doesn't even what it tells me doesn't matter anymore I usually actually I'm more looking at it to see what the comparison is between the kicker and the cork. But the balance thing is interesting when there is a an in, there is an imbalance. So an athlete that I rec- that we recognize had an imbalance and it was significant. So not everyone's going to be 50/50, so don't go nuts if you're 5149. So what do you, even, where do, where do you think is the max I think, on I think if you're like 7% heavy one side or another, you have some strength things you okay. should work on. That I think it's good to do some isolate, you know, some isolated bike, some isolated spinning on maybe, you know, it's hard to say, but I, I try to we try to talk in generalities on the podcast because I don't want somebody to take it very specific for yeah. like for for that athlete I would say I had her doing like 2 by 8 on the left side and 1 by 10 spinning on the right for example or i do the same thing with strength we're just trying to kind of get that to come back and balance yeah if you're within you know if you're 56 40 you know if you're 56 44 or better you're probably okay i mean i would start to watch if you're consistently like five percent north or south maybe then yeah you probably want to do some more single leg stuff on that leg that's that's got the imbalance but uh, not every, and then by the way, not every power meter does the balance thing. So don't think that's true. Yeah. Like if you have stages, for example, it right. doesn't do it cause it's a single side, uh, power meter. But you know, if you have a Garmin vector or most of the quarks do that, um, you'll be able to pick up balance, which is just a cool additional metric to have when you're training with power. Uh, but yeah, really when there's just an imbalance, uh, the decoupling thing is an interesting thing, Jesse, like, uh, I, I, I look at that for myself pretty often and for the, a lot of the athletes pretty often. A lot of the athletes, when they first get a power meter, I notice there's a larger gap in the decoupling that happens. So we get to, I get to give them some workouts that will start to 
pull that in. I don't, I'm getting myself in trouble here, but I don't usually tell them about that. I don't either. Because that's just it's something like, I look at. It, yeah, that's a, it's kind of one of those, you, you mentioned decoupling and they want to read the Freel article on it, right? And then half of that, does, they don't understand because I've read qu- the Freel article about five or six Thank times. You, right. So, so the, there's still 20% of that article I don't understand, yeah. right? So if they start reading it, they're like, well, there's more questions than answers. I don't like to confuse people. If you have the money for a power meter, I think it's a huge benefit. Um, And they're coming down. So, you know, several years ago, your options were, you know, the vectors at, you know, 12, 13, 1500. I think they were like $1,500 and a cork was $1,500 to $2,000. They're coming down a lot. Uh, The stages is a good option. Um, You know, you You wrote a stages for a while. Yeah, I have a stages. Um, Well, I had a stage on my other bike using cork now. I do cork's my favorite. Um, it's it's the go-to um but there's other options so like dave said there's stages you can pick those up for reasonable price now there's single-sided uh government vectors that are available with options to upgrade to dual-sided um down the road so the 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 pricing coming down is making it much more affordable and it's i i think it's hands down like my favorite or it was the best investment in my bike so I think it's the best investment for training. It's not the best, you know, when it comes to racing, it's not, you know, it's not going to pick you up lots aside from just making you more effective Yeah, it on the bike, right? It doesn't make your bike faster, but you training with it makes you faster. Right, so. which is the most important thing is to get the engine going the best, and that's what a power meter helps to do. Uh, there's an interesting one on here too, Jesse, that I think would be interesting for both of us to talk about. Because I think it's something that we deal with every day as athletes and as coaches. But how does your family deal with training, and do they get involved? Uh, that's a great question. It's it's challenging. So uh, you know there there are ways to get the family involved. For me right now with Hallie, she's four and got a bike now. We're not riding together, but the 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 goal for me is one. I want to introduce her to cycling. But as far as getting her involved, like pretty soon she'll be at the state where, you know, I can go out on a, a jog and she can ride her bike with me, and mm-hmm. you know I can get her involved that way. There's ways, you know, it's it's if, at any point in time if you can get the family involved, do it because this is a very selfish sport that we have, and, and trying to fit in all the many hours and you know late nights and early mornings and training at lunch or whatever it may be. Um, you know, that takes time away from your family. So some options for me that I try to work in with athletes as far as getting the family involved, like, you know, doing like when you're foam rolling, like get the, get the kids involved. Like Hallie, if I'm on the foam roller, like she's on the ground. If I'm doing, you know, playing, she's on the ground trying to do playing. So um, that's some fun ways for me to get, you know, her involved. If your spouse trains, then, you know, that's an option. Y'all can do some training together, obviously, at different times you know we can't always do this running at the same right. speed and Especially that sort of thing so, need to be watched and whatnot so yeah it, kids is a whole nother another story but for me like the ways i get highly involved is like she's out there riding her bike like you know pretty soon she'll be able to ride her bike next to me doing some you know long easy runs you know i something this is kind of off subject a little bit but you know take advantage of like if your kids play soccer or football or baseball like instead of dropping them off and going to do whatever, like drop them off and go run for an hour, go yeah. ride your bike for an hour. Especially practices. If you're not coaching, yeah, like they're going to be there an hour. You can yep. get your workout done there. Yeah, because the, 
I think the feedback I would have on this one would be, you know, the way James worded the, the question, how does your family deal with your training? I mean, don't make them deal with it. Right? right. would be the first thing I would tell you. So get up early, you know, get the training done in the morning when everybody's sleeping. Um, if you have an option to train at lunch or work, like I have a gym three floors down for me, like, you know, if I, if you give me a 45 minute run to do and I wasn't able to do it that morning, like I can bring my stuff with me and get that done at lunchtime. Right. Maybe yep. go an hour 10 with a shower and everything, but I can get it done. So in as much as you can, just try to make it completely passive for them where they don't even hardly notice it as much yeah. as possible. Now they're going to get impacted the weekends. If you're training for, you know, a half marathon, you're going to have an eight mile run or 10 mile run at some point. Right, that's going to take you a couple hours or more. So there's going to be that time away. And so, it. W- the other thing I would tell you is when you take that time away, you make sure that you, when you have time with your family, try to make it of quality. You know, do, do things, do things with them. The thing that I would I see with a lot of folks is they don't like, they shuck almost all home responsibilities when they start training for something, and it's like. You, that's a pretty good way to piss your spouse off and make you really make them really despise uh, your passion, which you don't want, right? That's not good for your 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 home situation. So, those are some tips I would I would give you as coaches. It's so different. So, open water swims, for example, Jesse. You know, Stacy's been out there. Stephanie's been out there. I'm lucky. You know, Stephanie loves being out there. Like right. she Stacey totally. Did as well. Yeah, they, they they really dig it. So. While they're not athletes themselves, they appreciate what we're doing. They appreciate what the athletes are doing. They've been to enough races and seen us in pain enough to know that what these folks are working towards is a big damn deal to them. So they appreciate that. And so they don't mind pitching in and helping out. But as athletes, you know, it's one thing you've heard me preach a lot. And Jesse agrees because we talk about this a lot. We, you have to have a balance. Yeah. Like without balance, this stiff, this stuff is not sustainable. You can't do this stuff very long without balance. Something's going to give. Something's going to crack. And you know that's why, uh, for what for what we do in our group, it's almost always about balance. So something with life pops up, we got to change plans. That's what we do as coaches. That's our responsibility. Yeah, I, I tell athletes. You know, I had someone the other day say, "Well, you know." how many hours should I make available? Because that's kind of like asking them like what their schedule looks like, how, you know, how much time they had to train. And they're like, well, how much, how much should I be training? I'm like, well, how much time do you have? You know, like it's, it's not about what it, how many hours you need to be trained. It's what, how many hours do you have? Like if you only have an hour, then you only have an hour. Family's first, always. This is a hobby. This is not, mm-hmm. this is not the end all of everything. You know, no matter what race you're training for, if even if it's an Ironman and, you know, you say, oh, you've got to put in all these tons of hours and that sort of thing, like, it's family's always first because you don't, it, it's a lot more enjoyable to come across that finish line and see your family there cheering you on. You know, Hallie comes and makes signs and that sort of thing. And, like, those are the things that are special to me. You know, the the finishing and the awards and, you know, that's just that's just part of it for me. Um, I like the training. I like staying fit. I like competing, but at the same time, like my family being there is the, the coolest part for me. So, yeah, I agree. So, I think that's some good stuff on the family piece. And I don't have many other ideas. That gets the important point here is just the balance part. 
I think it's super yeah, important. Yeah, definitely have to have a balance. And something else, you know, with taking the time away from the family for, you know, if you are training for an Ironman, you're going to put in some long hours. Like, it's it's just part of it. Um, but like Dave said, get up early, you know, don't, you know, your sleep is going to sacrifice, like, you're going to have to sacrifice your sleep. If you're lucky enough to get to bed early, then take advantage of it. Take advantage of naps. Um, I'm terrible about taking naps, and I would probably feel a lot better if I did take some more naps, but I don't. Family, like, give it back to them. So plan some events in the afternoon. Like, do get your workout in, come in, get your nutrition, recover, get your feet up for an hour or so, and then plan stuff in the afternoon. Like, take them to the pool, take them to the zoo, go to the park, that sort of thing. Like, just be selfless with uh, that's my thing is I try to be as selfless as possible and, and, and give back to them. So if you take a, the time away from them, give it back to them at some point. All right. Got time for one more. All right, let's do one more. So, um, in the last month or so here in Texas, we've dealt with this issue quite a lot. And, uh, I've actually been asked this a bunch, but Terry Wilson asked, uh, his question he positions as this with this year's Ironman Texas and Captex races. You could talk about how to deal with last minute race changes, how athletes who spend great amounts of time and effort adapt to the last minute changes or cancellations of portions of the race or shortening of the distances. This is an interesting question. So if you guys listen to my Ironman Texas wrap up or kind of recap, I didn't race it, but I was there uh, coaching and uh, I made a, a statement about how that race was shortened, right? The bike route was shortened because of safety really more than anything, right? The roads have been washed out. It's flooded down there again right now. And, you know, there were a lot of people that were given options to transfer out of that race, and some people did. I have two athletes that did, and it's perfectly fine ex- reason to transfer out. You want to do the whole distance, I get it. And there were a lot of people who weren't racing the race, but were telling people that they weren't going to be Ironman if they didn't race that if they race that race it wasn't full distance I again I'll repeat it those people are assholes so they should just you should just ignore them here's what here's uh, it's very simple for me Jesse uh, like when it comes to these last minute race changes the last time I checked those things are not under your control so if you roll up on race day and at Texas, we knew the bike was going to get shortened. We didn't know the swim was going to get moved, right? We didn't know that it was going to go from one transition to two, right? Like, those are, those are stressful things for athletes. About it is just confide in somebody who's been there and done that before. Try to get as many questions as you need answered. Try to keep your anxiety level low. But you just deal with it and you keep on moving because you can't control it. Like, you getting upset about it or you getting pissed about it isn't going to make them put the swim back in the canal in toxic water, right, which is a problem for your health, right? So uh, my mindset on this thing is super simple. Like, you you got to play the, the hand you're dealt exactly. on race day. Yeah, you can't... It, you, it's it's easy to do. I, I, I know. And we've all been doing this for a long time. And it's easy to do to... They get upset and be like, well, why are they doing this or why are they changing that? Well, there's there's always going to be reasons that we can't see. They have the reasons that they do certain things. And the other thing is Mother Nature. Like, we can't control Mother Nature. Like, if it's flooded, like, you can't ride your bike across flooded roads. You know, it's 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 not safe. Like, they're not going to send you out there in an unsafe environment. It, that 
is way more tragic than them adjusting the bike ride to 94 miles or 95 miles like they did. Um, had athletes in both those races, Cap Texas and Ironman Texas. You know, the, to, to be a little harsh is, you know, you, you deal with it. Like, it's part of racing. And like Dave said, you you play the hand that was dealt to you. I know as far as, you know, I, I try to look at the bigger picture and I always try to look at the more um, optimistic side of it. Like, the swim got changed. Okay, well, it's still water. It's still the same water it's always been. You're going in a different direction. But it honestly, like, when you're in the open water, like, it's water and a buoy. You go, you swim to to the next buoy. Like that's mm-hmm. just part of it. There's there's really not a big difference in it. it. The rest of that's in your head. As far as the bike course goes, you know, I I get it. Like, I think there's eighty something turns in that course. Completely different bike course than the one I did two years ago. Yeah, but then I also so my t- my take on that is I had out this. Oh, they changed the bike course eighty turns. Okay, well. Where do you do your long rides? Oh, you, you leave your house and you ride out in the city where you have to go through stop signs and stop lights and turn a lot? Okay, so it, it's more simulated to your training you've been doing. Like, mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of how I look at that one. And real quick on the part of that, and I saw the comments of, oh, it's not, you know, you're not the 140.6 miles. Ask anyone that's done Texas this year and previously, um, they'll tell you that this year was way tougher than than years previous. I mean, they went through. Man, I, so you know how you you know firsthand how tore up I was, right? Right. Frankly, if not for Jesse, I would have probably not made it on not in Texas two years ago. I'm telling you, this past year with a shorter course was harder. Yeah, hundred percent harder. And and so much of this sport, especially in the iron distance, is mental. Uh, anyone that did Ironman Texas this year is extremely mental tough. I mean, you went through bike course getting changed, you know, a few weeks out, swim course getting changed a couple weeks out, or no, a couple days out. Mm-hmm. Not when I got there Thursdays when they announced it. Yeah. So then you go out there and it's Texas, so it's hot. It gets hot and then it gets humid and rainy and hilling and. Everything else, I mean, athletes are like, yeah, I just, you know, kind of turned around and walked backwards. So it hit me in the back of the head, not in the face. Like, and then some athletes getting stopped on course. So when you've been out there for 9, 10, 11, 12 hours, whatever it may be, and then you have to stop yeah. on the run. Try, try starting back up again. Yeah. Go out there and do a super long training day and then stop for 30 minutes and then go try to run another 10K. Anyone that can do that is extremely physically and mentally tough. So I had an f- athlete that finished in the daytime. It was still light out. And when that hail hit, he was only at mile 12. Mm. So like he was doing, he was doing fine. So some of those people that were out there had a lot more than a 10 K left after yeah. they pulled oh, them true. off the course. So that's true. dude, I'm telling you, they are in their keep down there. In terms yeah. of cap techs, it's just nothing like, again, this is a super hard one. I, I wanted to talk about it because really there's like, what do you, what do you do? Like there's nothing you can do about it. And it's super unfortunate. Two years, three years ago, I went down to Captex. Well, yeah, it was the year I was going to do Canada. And I went down to Captex and it came a flood just like it did this year. And they still had the race, but I was like, there's no way that the first week into June or last week into May or whenever it was, a month and a half before my Ironman, my first Ironman attempt, I'm going to go out there and ride my bike in the rain and take a take a make a, you know crash and put myself out of something I've been training for for a year. Yeah. So I just 
I chose not to race that day. I'm not just on my own accord. Was I was I f- afraid? Yeah, I was afraid, but not because not that I wouldn't finish. I was afraid that I was going to hurt myself. Yeah, it's just not worth it. And, I mean, you know, La- Ladybird Lake is not really a lake; it's a spillway, and that was you could not have swam in that in that in that river. I would I, in that lake. I would not have wanted to be in there. I wouldn't have wanted to have anybody I know in there. And it's just terrible weather. Yeah, you, you can't. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean. Be thankful you had a nice long weekend in Austin, right? That's why I love those races down there because they have two races down there every year, Captex, and they have uh, Tri-Rock Austin. And Captex is Memorial Day weekend, Tri-Rock's Labor Day weekend. They're, they're both on Monday, which is awesome because you just go down there, maybe drive down on Saturday. You could spend a couple days in Austin chilling out, and then you get to race Monday and come home. And it's a big race, so it's not – I mean – I love the local races, but you know they're they're your local races, and they're yeah. you know five six hundred people. Um, you go down there, and there's several thousand people down yeah. there, so you get the atmosphere, you know, similar to your you know yeah, your big race, your big races, and so that's that was one of the I mean that was one of the first big races I had ever done was down there at the uh, Tri Rock. Yeah. Um, and so to me, it was just it was a cool atmosphere being down there and all the people. So like, yeah, I mean they're they're fun weekends, but at the same time, so I did the the tri rock and it wasn't the weather wasn't like it was this you know mm-hmm. but that water's still nasty and the you know it's a i oh, call yeah. it a toilet bowl down it there terrible it yeah. just it takes up everything and so yeah i mean be thankful that the swim got canceled because so many people would have come out of that water sick mm-hmm. you know at, at a minimum yeah same thing with the canals in New yeah. Orleans. it and, rained too much too much crap in there and it's just not safe to be in there so yeah like i said guys you know it's it sucks when it happens i get it but i think the number one thing i would the number one thing i'd tell you and the thing i was trying to 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 tell people at in in the woodlands for our man texas is just just race your race like by the way not for nothing the split transitions like having the transition right at the swim was awesome because that transition up in the park was a muddy mess. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, I couldn't get my cleat in my bike shoe and my on my pedal for seven or eight miles because there's so much mud clumped up in my... I have speed plays and it just got mud up in there. I couldn't get it to clip in. So it was a bit of a blessing in a way because that parking lot was huge, lots of space. And I think Ironman did a pretty good job, and I'm, you know, I've, I've been critical, but they they did a good job of pulling that race off. Yeah, I think they did a really good job. I mean, just from the logistics side of it, uh, changing things around that, you know, that close to to race day, and then the big one for me is the fact that they offered all the athletes the opportunity to transfer out. I thought that was big because yeah. you know they're that's I mean that was huge. They didn't have to do that. Mm-mm. You know, you when you sign up, like you're you're taking the risk of you know, mother nature coming in and changing some things and that sort of thing. Um, but they were willing to, you know, hand out transfers to athletes. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I learned a lot about Ironman that weekend. Yeah. Like I'm not as critical anymore. (laughs) They deal with a lot, man. Yeah. I would just sticks around those races. I have no interest in putting on races ever. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to it and we don't see it as athletes and coaches, you know, but you know, we, 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 especially with Dave now, he's got a little more insight and, and met some people. And so he's got some things he could probably share with us, but there's a lot to go into those races and the, and the fact that they work as hard as they do, you know, 
Hats off to him. Yeah. Yeah. Does does should it cost eight hundred bucks? No. But <laughs> yeah, there's still I a don't. lot that goes into it. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely I don't I, we'll leave to say that topic there. for another day. Yeah. Maybe just leave it off. I don't know if that would it's that's <laughs> nothing a, we can do about yeah, it. Yeah, there's yeah, that's yeah, we nothing we can do about but it. Until they stop selling out. Right when they yeah. stop selling out, they'll drop the price. Supply and demand, simple. Yeah, simple thing. So, all right, Jesse, um, how do they get a hold of you? I I think you know how to get a hold of me. <laughs> I know how to get a hold of you. Yeah. Uh, so Jesse at Octane-Athletics.com. Uh, any questions or that you may have, or you know anything I said that didn't make sense, or want a little more into it, uh, shoot me an email. You know, I work at Trash Shop and come come bug them there. You, you can come bug me there. More than welcome to. Um, but yeah, this is good. Definitely yeah. do it again soon. We will. We got lots more questions. So oh yeah, we'll uh, we'll go through some of them. So if you can get your question answered, uh, we're not ignoring you. Uh, we're just we went an hour. That's about as long as we like to go around here, and then we'll do another episode. So with that, we'll speak at you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Yep. Thanks. Man, I love that guy. I really do. Jesse's awesome. Hey, a few things, guys. Uh, one. Please uh, head out to iTunes and subscribe to the show. If this is your first time listening, definitely hit that subscribe button. We try to put our episodes every couple of weeks. We've been a little late with this one. Um, having Jesse on, I think, want to make a, a regular thing. I also talked to a couple of other local coaches about some topics that they specialize in. So uh, I want to go deep on power with one of the local coaches that he's awesome. Uh, his name's Tommy Johnson. Knows tons and tons about many things but especially about uh about power uh tommy's passionate about that he's passionate about the sport but he's especially passionate about that topic so talked to tommy last weekend and he uh agreed to join us on an upcoming episode so uh sit tight for that uh subscribe to the show so that you can get a hold of that as soon as it comes out other thing i want you to do is head out to octane-athletics.com coaching uh, if you've ever been interested in a coach or want to know what we're about, that's where you get the information. So head out there and take a look. Finally, this week's episode brought to you by the guys at Recovery Pump. Head out to recoverypump.com and check out their recovery boots. They're the best in the business. Uh, very unique boots. We have an episode of the podcast that I'll put in the show notes that we reviewed the, their boots up against Normatech head to head. And they're great boots. We have a few athletes that are wearing them. If you're interested in potentially buying some recovery pump boots, uh, head out to recoverypump.com, use the promo code Octane, and you'll get either a $50 or $150 gift card based upon which unit you buy. If you buy the RP, you get $50 gift card. If you buy the RPX, you get a $150 gift card. And if you use that code, you also get a $25 shipping credit, which essentially makes shipping free for you. So recoverypump.com use the promo code octane and uh, you get yourself a good deal on some incredible recovery pump boots and uh, definitely worth the investment so we'll talk to you guys very soon we appreciate your support and we'll uh, we'll holler at you next time